Dear Lord, we know that you're with us in our lives, the highs and the lows and all the times of our lives, but you also speak to us for those times in our lives. Uh, bless us today as we hear another conversation of a believer with you. Bless us today as we study your word from Psalm 13. Send your Holy Spirit to each one of us to build us up in our faith and to equip us for the times that we are going to face in our own lives um, and build us up so that we might walk confidently with you through every season of this life all the way to heaven. Make this sermon time today very productive for the growth of, of each one of our faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how does this picture make you feel? Somebody said stressed. <laughs> okay, what about this one? Or what about this one? So I don't know about you, maybe you're an oasis of calm out here, but like for me, all of these pictures make me kind of stressed because you're looking at these things and it's like, almost about to break, like can't go on much longer, almost about to die, and you're just wondering how much is left, right, in each one of these pictures that are here. So the reason that I'm showing you these anxiety-inducing pictures is to get you into the headspace of King David as he writes Psalm 13, which is our sermon text for today. So David's first words are, how long, Lord? Like this is the opening line of Psalm 13, how long, Lord? And then you can tell as you continue reading that David feels like this rope that is about to snap. David feels like this battery that is about to run out of juice. David feels like he doesn't know how much longer he can hold on. That's the headspace. So, so now we're thinking, man, what is David going through in his life? Right? He must be going through some serious problems. And he is. But interestingly, the first thing that David does is he doesn't even talk about his specific problems. He talks about something else. Here is what he talks about. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? So what David's doing is he's expressing a sentiment that is fairly common among Christians, at least among people that I've talked to. And the sentiment is this. During the hardest times of life, it often feels like God has forgotten us. During the hardest times of life, it often feels like God has forgotten us. Now, in the good times of life, it's a whole different story, right? In the good times of life, we are probably more inclined to forget about God. We talked about that in the sermon a couple of weeks ago. But in the good times of life, if we're thinking about God, like, clearly he's blessing us. The sun is shining. Our plans are succeeding. Everything in life is going the way that we want. And you know, once we do think about God, like it's easy to praise God and give God the glory when, when life is going so well. But when life is hard, when the sun is not shining, when the rain is pouring down, and it keeps pouring down, it keeps pouring down, and it's washing away our plans and our hopes and our dreams, typically in times like this, we don't feel super connected to God. Right? So we look up to heaven and we say, God, what are you doing? And God doesn't respond. We pray to God and say, God, please change these circumstances. And he doesn't. And instead of feeling connected to God, we start to feel alone. And if you're facing really serious problems, you don't want to feel alone. So when that's how we're feeling, it is no surprise that our rope feels like it's fraying and our battery feels like it's dying and our fingers, it's like we don't know how much longer we can hold on. 
And so we cry out with David, how long, Lord? Are you going to forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? We've hung on as long as we can, and we're not sure that we can make it much longer. All right, so if you could get yourself into that kind of a headspace, you know, hypothetically speaking, this is where David is at as he writes this psalm. So now what? Well, as he moves into the psalm, David now starts to share what some of his actual problems are. And he says, How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So what is David's problem? Well, he's got multiple problems, but the big one at this point in time is his enemies. He's got enemies scheming against him. And this is nothing new. If you read through the book of Psalms and you read all of David's Psalms, you're kind of like, David always has enemies scheming against him. This poor guy is constantly complaining about who's plotting and planning and cheering for his downfall. And you read about David in the Bible and he sounds like a really nice guy. How could such a nice guy have so many enemies? Well, the answer is, he became king. (laughs) I mean, when you're the king, you have a lot of enemies. When you are on top, there are a lot of people that want to see you come down. And it's no different today. Like, if you're running a really successful business, you know that there are competitors out there who are cheering actively for you to fail. If you are managing an enormous group of people and you're kind of on top of the whole thing, you know that there are people in some of those positions underneath you who would love to have your job. And if something bad happened to you, if you made some bad decisions and came crashing down, they would not necessarily be crushed, but they would be more than happy to step into the void. When you are on top, there are always going to be people plotting and planning to bring you down. So as king of Israel, of course David has enemies that are plotting his destruction. It's something he's always writing about in the Psalms. One of his big issues in life. Do you have enemies? Well, I don't even have to know about your personal life to know that, of course you have enemies. You know, first of all, anywhere that God has blessed you and lifted you up in life, of course there's going to be people that that want to tear you down and pull you down and are jealous of you, perhaps. But also, more than that, we know, right, that our worst enemies, our biggest enemies, are not people. Our biggest enemies are the lies of the devil, the temptations of the world, the weakness of our own sinful nature. And those enemies work together against us to try to bring us down and try to bring about the greatest kind of a fall of all, which would be a fall from faith. So your spiritual enemies are working on you. Just like they worked on King David during the hardest times of his life. And those spiritual enemies are trying to convince you that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't notice you, that God isn't listening to you, and that you are going through this all alone. But you're not alone. David wasn't alone. And he knew that as he wrote his song. And so David said this, Look on me and answer Lord my God. I want to take just a minute and and really look at this verse. Do you observe the way that David is speaking to God? Like, do you observe his tone? God, look at me. (laughs) Answer me. It's a really bold and aggressive way of speaking for a mortal human being to talk to God like this. 
And yet, it's not unique to Psalm 13. You read through the book of Psalms, you read through the book of Job, and you start to see this a lot in some of the Old Testament poetry especially. You will find faithful believers going through hard seasons in life, and sometimes they're practically shouting at God, saying, why, Lord, why? What are you doing? So let me ask you a question. Why do you think that God, in his wisdom, as he inspires his word, why would God allow questions like this and tones like this to be included in his Bible for us to read? The answer is because it's okay for us to talk to God like this. It's okay for us to talk to God like this. I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about prayer. We think about our sins. It's not hard to find them. It's not hard to think about them. We think about God's holiness, and it is not hard to feel that gap. And so we tend to feel like we have to approach God with this kind of distant formality. Like, Heavenly Father, way up there in your might and wisdom, here's little me down here. I know you have a lot to worry about, and I know I don't deserve it, but but if, if in your mercy you could listen to me for just one second, let me ask you this petition. It's not wrong to pray to God that way. But it is also okay to pray to God much more boldly and confidently. Not like a criminal coming before a judge, but maybe like a child coming before their dad. So once upon a time, uh, there was a boy who was hungry, and he wanted a bedtime snack. So he's lying in his bed, his tummy's rumbling, he decided he needed to ask his dad for a bedtime snack, and so this is the way that he went about it. While lying in his bed, at the top of his lungs, he shouted, Dad, I need a snack! Maybe not the most polite, maybe not the most subtle, but why did he shout so boldly and so loudly? It's because he knew his dad loved him. It's because he knew his dad was listening, and it's because he knew if his tummy really was rumbling, his dad was going to give him a snack. Now, it was going to be a healthy, bedtime-appropriate snack, maybe a couple of carrots and maybe not the bag of cookies that he would rather have. But if he's hungry, he was going to get a snack. If he needed help, his dad was going to give it. And so he cried out boldly and confidently because he had absolute confidence that dad loved him and would provide for his needs. Dad, I need a snack. And it is okay for us to pray to God the same way. In fact, God encourages us to pray to him the same way. You read Luke 11 and Jesus is saying, pound on God's door, yell at your dad for what you need. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, are you even listening to me at all? It's okay to pray to God like this. And then here's the fascinating thing. This is like a case study of this happening in Psalm 13. As David cries out to God, as he includes God, even in his anger and frustration, as he's doing it, he can't help but remember the kind of God that he has. So all of a sudden he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. That's a sudden shift in tone. I mean, nothing has changed in David's situation. He still has got his enemies. He still has got his same problems. But as he includes God in those problems and cries out to God about those problems, suddenly he can't help but remember the kind of God that he has. So, a couple of significant phrases here. First, 
David calls God by his name, the Lord. And that is significant, because that's a special name. I know you guys talked about this last week. This name, the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D. This is the name God used for himself when he's talking about that covenant he made with his people, that he's going to send a Savior for the whole sins of the world through that nation of Israel. When God used that name, the Lord, he's reminding his people he is the God who keeps promises. He is the God who saves. So even with God's name, David remembers who he's talking to. Secondly, David says, I trust in your unfailing love. So this word, translated unfailing love, this is basically the Hebrew word for grace. It is a love that is undeserved. It is unearned. Often, it's unappreciated. And yet, it is a love that the lover pours out regardless because it is unconditional. It does not depend on what response comes back. This is the kind of love that somebody shows because they have decided to show this love and nothing is going to stop them from pouring that love out. It is the last kind of love that you would expect an almighty God to have for sinful human beings. But he does. He does. And God has been pouring out his unfailing love onto the Israelite nation by David's time for more than a thousand years. God has also been pouring out his undeserved love into David's personal life, too. God's undeserved love picked David out from shepherding his father's sheep and raised him up to be the king of Israel. God's unfailing love protected David from a giant named Goliath and an evil king named Saul. God's unfailing love even protected David from his own sin. You remember the story, we talked about this two weeks ago, where David committed adultery with his neighbor and then committed murder to try to cover it up and then continued with more lies and more cover-ups. And yet in love, God sent his prophet to bring David to repentance and finally to get to announce his forgiveness. Our God is a God of grace. He's a God of unfailing love. And David knew this not just from his nation, but he knew this from his experience. Third, probably the most significant phrase of all, David says this, My heart rejoices in your salvation. So this is one of those things where I'm doing my Hebrew text study. I've got my headphones in. I'm like trying to remember different Hebrew words, and I'm sitting in my office. And then all of a sudden, everyone in the office sees me stand up, and I just said, like, wow, um, as I'm studying this in Hebrew. Because this is what I found. I hope this is as exciting and impactful to you as it was to me when I found it. David is saying, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. So he's looking ahead at something that's going to happen that's going to make him rejoice. And then he says the word, your salvation. When you look at that word salvation in Hebrew, you look at the letters of that word, you realize that word is part of a common name. It's a name that in Hebrew was pronounced Yeshua or Yeshua, but in English would be pronounced Jesus. The name Jesus is the Hebrew word for salvation. Specifically, salvation that comes from the Lord. So David says, I'm looking forward to salvation from the Lord. He's looking forward to Jesus, who is going to be salvation from the Lord. Because one day this salvation is going to come just as promised. God, in a human body, is going to live in our sin-broken, problem-filled world and understand what it's like down here. And God, in a human body, is going to go to the cross and pay the price for all of our sins, and then he's going to rise from the dead. And one day God is going to come back, and he's going to bring us to the perfect, problem-free paradise of heaven. 
So David says, yes, my life is hard right now. Yes, God feels distant right now. But one day, my heart is going to rejoice in your salvation. I don't know if you thought that was as cool as I did. I thought that that was really cool. Literally, the name of Jesus means salvation. Anyway, <clears throat> thousands of years later, we can say the same thing. All right? So like David, all the time, we have problems that are way bigger than we can possibly handle. And like David, when our problems get really tough, it feels sometimes like we're alone. It feels like God is not listening to us. But we have a God of unfailing love. We have a God who keeps his promises, and we know that we do. Because unlike David, we're not looking ahead for salvation of the Lord to arrive. We can look back and we can see exactly how God did it. That when the time had fully come, God already sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. So that now, as we're going through our stuff, we're not coming to God like a criminal coming before a judge, but it is like a child coming before their dad. With this kind of a personal relationship with God, we can be sure that he cares about our problems. We can be sure that he's helping us with our problems. We can be sure that he is listening to us even if we don't know what he's doing. And we can be sure that even when we cry out to God in the depth of our pain and confusion, God, where are you? He hears us. And he loves us way more than even a dad who hears and loves his kid crying out for a bedtime snack. So you read Psalm 13, you just feel this amazing kinship, this bond with King David over all of these years. Like, yes, we have troubles, you know, beyond what we can endure, beyond what we can understand. But in those troubles, we cry out to God. In the act of crying out to God, we remember what kind of a God we have. And we remember what kind of a Savior he sent us. And thus, somehow, even in the middle of our troubles, we can find peace. Peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. Peace that is focused on the fact, even when we don't know what God is doing, we know that he's got us. We know that he's got us. And with that kind of peace in our hearts, we can say things in a time of trouble that you would never expect us to be able to say Things like, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. All right, so i got one last Hebrew note for you. It's the last one, but it's just on this last phrase, this, this word, he has been good to me. It, it sounds good, but this does not really capture the flavor of the word that's being used here. And I couldn't really find a good English translation, but I think the best translation of this word is a picture. And the picture is this. It's a baby that has just finished nursing. That's this Hebrew word. The baby is full and content and happy and asleep in its mother's lap. There's really nothing more peaceful than a baby that just finished eating and has just crashed on its mom, right? No more yelling, no more crying, no more stress and anger, but just satisfaction and peace. So this word is like, I've been fed, my needs have been covered, I'm good. Through faith in Jesus, this is what your heart looks like. Doesn't mean that your problems are gone. Doesn't mean that you suddenly understand everything God is doing. But what it means is that you've let go. 
Instead of having this absolute stranglehold on your problems and trying to wrestle them all into submission, you've let go. You've handed them off to the Lord, and knowing the kind of God that you have, you can be confident he's on the job, guiding you where you need to go, giving you what you need along the way, and not just walking with you, but carrying you all the way to heaven. You can rest in the arms of your God, for he has and he will continue to take care of you. So, I'm now in danger of too many illustrations in one sermon. But this is the last one. I want you to picture one more thing. So there is a child walking through the woods with his dad, and they're walking down this path, and they get to a great big puddle. How are we going to get across this puddle? Right? So first the kid tries to like balance on the different rocks, and that doesn't work. He falls in, gets his feet wet, starts crying, comes back out, tries again. Now he gets a big head of steam, sprints up to the puddle, jumps in, still doesn't make it, gets his feet wet, comes back out, he's crying even more. Then he tries the uh, technique of hold dad's hand and do like a side run on the side of the path, and it still doesn't work, falls up to his knees, now he's even more wet, now he's crying even harder. Finally, this pretty little kid is out of options, and he does what he should have done right away. He does where, I know you've seen this, he's holding his dad's hand, and he just grabs with the other hand too, and it's almost like a chin-up. He just holds on to his dad's hands as tightly as he possibly can. And, you know, strong dad, because this is not a big kid, strong dad just walks through the puddle, like ten big old dad steps, and puts the kid down on the other side. This is what's going on in the hardest times of life. And this is how God engages with us. He doesn't give us like a few more stepping stones to figure it out. He doesn't say, get a longer head start and make a little bit longer leap. He just says, hold on to my hand. Don't worry about it. I've got it. Just hold on. And so this is the heart of faith that I pray God would build in all of us during our hardest times in our life, which are going to come, is just hold on to your dad as tight as you can, and he is so immensely strong, he will carry you across. We said one set of footprints, it's God's footprints, as he carries you and sets you down, maybe at the end of this particular problem, and then ultimately in your eternal home. So, cling to God brothers and sisters, don't be afraid of talking to God in our hard times. And we know, we know that he's got us. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.